The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, beware the macro dip on software or buy it. A bull bear debate ahead of Salesforce earnings tonight. And then top picks for hardware ahead of HP. Why Dell is the streets under the radar play this morning. Later on, bull calls on fintech, buy calls on Zoom and Dish. And some of these Chinese internet names getting a big boost today. We are going to start, though, with some falling valuations. Despite some strong fundamentals, maybe a few stocks to buy the dip on. Dom Chu's got more on that. Hey, Dom. All right, so traders and investors are always looking for that blend, right, of a company that's a solid franchise that may have improving fundamentals but has maybe been relatively punished unfairly perhaps in some cases in the marketplace overall. So analysts over at Credit Suisse, led by the U.S. strategy team by Jonathan Golub over there, have taken a look at some of the S&P 500 stocks that have fallen and seen some significant drawdowns from their recent highs, but still have seen analysts upping their earnings per share estimates over the course of the last several months. And so if you take a look at the S&P 500, biggest drawdowns in price, forecasted earnings per share improvements, you get to a list of around 50 names they identify. Among those names, interesting ones that we've talked about quite a bit over the course of the last several months in terms of the tech drawdown. First of all, one that comes through on communication services are shares right now of Twitter. That particular stock has lost more than half its value from the recent highs that we've seen down to where they are now. But earnings per share estimates have gone up significantly over the course of the last several weeks. So Twitter is one of those stocks they've identified. Also taking a look elsewhere within that kind of general kind of tech-ish type atmosphere about media and everything else, Walt Disney shares that have seen a steep decline off of their recent highs, yet analysts are still upping their earnings per share estimates for this particular stock, indicating perhaps stronger fundamentals. And then one other one to keep a close eye on here among that list of 50 stocks are shares of some of these big semiconductors, NVIDIA especially. Again, steep declines that we've seen, you can see over the course of the last several months with NVIDIA, but earnings per share estimates that are still roughly about 16 to 19 percent better than they were just a few weeks back. So if you talk about that improving fundamental side where everybody expects those earnings to improve, but the stock has been punished a lot, that gets you to kind of where, guys, we're talking about this particular list. And by the way, if you're interested in what else is on that list, the folks over at CNBC Pro have put that whole story together for subscribers there. If you are a subscriber to CNBC Pro, you can head over to the website, cnbc.com pro, and get more on that full story. But an interesting list of stocks, guys, for sure. Um, who's not a subscriber to CNBC Pro at this point? I mean, my goodness. If you well, wanna... I, I have access to it. I know that much, and I, I kind of right. go through those particular topics. Talking our own book a little bit there. But, Don, sure. um, what strikes me about this, too, is putting your analytical hat on, do you think about why these stocks were up so high to begin with? I imagine there are different reasons, you know, in Disney versus NVIDIA. Well, one of the things that they also talk about in that strategy note from Credit Suisse is the compression that we've seen 
in price to earnings ratios, right? And that's going to be that valuation side of the argument. The reason why you've seen some of that air come out of the balloon or the tires, so to speak, is because of that compression in these multiples. And a lot of that is due to the interest rate picture for sure, right? When you have a situation where you can get risk-free money backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government and that level keeps going higher, it does make some of these more aggressive tech growth valuations less attractive. And if you take a look at some of these names like Disney, Twitter, or even the mega cap tech names like Apple, Microsoft, uh, Amazon and others, mm -hmm. that's been the big argument. It's that value compression type situation. So the valuations are going to be key in that discussion as well, guys. Absolutely. And everyone's trying to figure out where those valuations should sit. Dom, thank you very much. You didn't mention it, but there were some software picks in that stock screen. Is now really the time to buy in, though? Acme Capital's Haney Nada thinks so, saying he still likes enterprise names like Snowflake and Adobe and ServiceNow, whose innovations can drive the software space moving forward. On the flip side, we've got Jeffrey's Brent Thill leading the Bears, cutting price targets across the Internet sector from Amazon to Uber to Pubmatic. He sees fundamentals falling apart. Both here with us for a bull bear debate to start the show off. Uh, Haney, let's go to you first. Give us the case for the bull argument. And to be specific, do you think that this is sort of a bounce within a bear market or do you think that this is sustainable? There's actually some conviction here. Good morning. Good morning. Um Look, we have not seen any fundamentals uh, deteriorate yet. Um, so far, demand has been strong. There has been no price elasticity. Consumers and customers and enterprise customers specifically are still buying. So we haven't seen any cut in demand. All we've seen so far is a cut in valuation, which is probably rationalization that's been long overdue. But we haven't seen anything yet on the fundamental side that gets, gets us to be a bear. Uh, Brent, what would you say about the fundamentals? I mean, we've just come off a week where we've seen the retailers raise some concerns about consumers and Cisco about the macro picture, Snowflake and NVIDIA as well to some extent. You're the bear here. What are you seeing? Yeah, fundamentals are deteriorating. Uh, Workday, uh, Snowflake both called out things, uh, our deals are, are, are pushing. And we're not even into the full pullback of the economy so we ultimately believe that there's going to be a cut. We've already cut ahead of, uh, of what we think is going to happen. Uh, as Haney points out, uh, valuations have come in, you know, really hard. So we think ultimately uh, a lot of this is baked in. The IGV, the software index, is down 27, 28 percent year to date. Many of our stocks are down 40 to 50, some cases over 60 percent. So we've seen multiples go from 19 times forward revenue in software to seven we can see trough at five. So we've said there's still 20% down, but we've had a, a quite a fall. So I think selectively the call is to, to be picking away. But uh, make no mistake, uh, companies are seeing fundamental weakness. Mm -hmm. We've heard it in earnings calls in the last week. And ultimately, I think it's going to get harder as we head into a potential pullback in, in the overall economy. Yeah, that's interesting, Haney. You know, on that point, I wonder, people are still trying to draw threads through all of the macro commentary, through Workday, through Snap, and try to figure out what's going to happen with Salesforce tonight. I wonder if you think CRM has the power to either ratify or negate a lot of what we've already heard. Right. So, look, I think from the fundamentals perspective, I look at things like what's, what's going to happen. There may be slight waning in demand because of the news and the demand cycle around inflation and what's happening. 
But fundamentally, I think these have already been captured in estimates and potentially even valuations, more so on the valuation side. When Brent talked about valuations being cut for software from, I think a high was 40 plus times forward revenue, now back to a more normal rate of, you know, somewhere between five to seven times forward revenue. I think these valuation cuts have been, are reflecting a potential slowdown in what's coming. So I think it'd be That's interesting to see what, what Salesforce does tonight, but my guess, it's not gonna be a dramatic release. Yeah, Brent, it is interesting to read some of these reports of channel checks Still solid in the case of Salesforce, but maybe with a little bit less of the historical upside before print. Yeah, they're softer for sure. Things are, are slowing. You can feel the tension in the checks that we do. Uh, ultimately, you know, to Haney's point, the stock is, is four and a half times the revenue. I mean, it's one of the cheapest spots. Salesforce typically troughs at five, so we've gone through trough. So for us, Salesforce looks really attractive. The, the, the setup is, is a difficult one for them. This is their toughest, toughest comp of the year uh, right now. Uh, so we, we think the risk is do some of these large deals, they close, get uh, you know, brought down into smaller bite-sized chunks, you know, the elephant to antelope analogy of, of, uh, of cutting the, the transaction size down. Uh, but I think most investors are bracing uh, for a, a, a guide down. And ultimately, if we don't see that, the stock bounces off of, off of four and a half times. Even, even if they cut a little bit, I still think we've got a valuation floor put in for Salesforce. Hey, let me try something out on you. I've been trying to figure out how to look at software. And I, I see three categories, Fortress software, big software, momentum software. Fortress is like Microsoft, Alphabet, Adobe, Oracle, things that are around 200 billion or over. Big is 200 billion to a, around 100 billion Salesforce, Intuit, PayPal service now. And then momentum, stuff that's below that, like your Palo Altos, Shopify, Snowflake. It, it does seem like the environment is different and even the stock action is different for each of those. Um, is, is that a fair way to look at it? And which do you think has been priced most fairly at this point after these declines? Well, I think the smaller cap names have had a much bigger route than the big cap uh, software tech names. I think um, on most small cap tech, we're down 60, 70% from their highs, while we're down probably 30% on the big cap names. So I do think there's a lot of value uh, on the smaller cap name side, but they will probably be the late, the, they'll probably recover later, later than the, early, the bigger cap names. I think the bigger cap names on the upside will move first, and then you'll see the small cap names uh, move after them. Okay, Brent, just because the smaller caps have declined more doesn't mean that they're the better value, though. I, I wonder how you see it. Well, I, I think uh, the small caps have gotten rocked. Uh, so you're now seeing private equity move in. Toma Bravo, Vista, a uh, number of the, the private equity firms, you're seeing strategic transactions that are getting done. And, and I think that's going to be uh, puts a floor in for a lot of the small caps. Small caps have gotten hammered. And we think that there's way more upside in small than large right now because of the valuation. And then you look at the takeout that, that could happen, you're, you're talking you know, 30, 40% upside on a lot of the small cap names. So I, I think we're gonna, see, uh, we're, we're gonna see there's a lot of excitement there. Yes, in a downturn, they're gonna be susceptible to a harder time than the large caps. But right now, I think uh, small cap looks way more attractive. I want to get both of your takes on uh, an idea that Snowflake brought up in their last quarter. It was a big focus. Frank Slootman, the CEO, was on Tech Check on Friday talking about the benefits of a consumption-led revenue model. Have a listen. 
there's really no lid, if you will, you know, on our ability to grow because customers, you know, can consume at will. There's unlimited capacity and infrastructure available for them to do it. So as some, uh, you know, sell side people have maligned the consumption model, it actually is the explanation why we have such tremendous growth and why we have such great net revenue retention rates. Uh, Haney, let's get you first on this. Is this a good model in a downturn or should cloud companies be focusing on locking customers into longer term contracts, especially as they face a potential downturn? Can every company do this also? Look, I think by and large, anytime you provide value and a return to value or a customer and you're getting paid by creating value for the customer, that's a win win for everybody. Obviously, subscription models, when you're locking in somebody, uh, for a long period of time is better for a company, but it may not be uh, relevant to, in terms of when the, the value equation takes place. I'm a big fan of continuing to experiment with models of business models. And so far, the SaaS model has been the winning one from evaluation and the company growth perspective. But I do think you're going to see more customers demanding much more value-based pricing or consumption-based pricing as well. So it'll be an interesting transition mm -hmm. if that does happen. <laughs> Right, with so much focus on it, too, you may see customers asking for more of this kind of model. Brent, what do you think? Is this a good play going into a downturn? I think it's a great play for kind of any market, which is you base the price on value you're getting getting out of the system. And so the downside for them right now is they had one large, you know, consumer-facing uh, 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 story that that pulled back and that, that they highlighted in the call. Hey, like, we're seeing some pullback in, in demand because they're not using it as much. Uh, so that that's the downside, but I think ultimately it's the right model over the long term in any environment where you're you're helping your client based on are they using versus I'm buying a bunch of seats and I don't use them. We learned that from Siebel, which uh, was all shelfware, and that we mm. saw what happened to them. So uh, ultimately, I think you know the Snowflake model is the right model uh, from a, from consumption perspective over time. So in the end, you guys agreed on something: the consumption based revenue model. Uh, Haney and Brent, thank you very much. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Yeah, they agreed on a lot. I think, uh, you know, smaller software companies, too. And turning now from software to hardware, our next guest lowering his outlook for the PC market. Still bullish on Dell, but predicting supply chain challenges and inflation are going to soften demand for the sector in the months ahead. Joining us now, city analyst Jim Suva. Jim, welcome. So uh, I have a feeling that this is partly a story about how much Dell has changed over the past decade, but why excited about Dell, but not about the PC market? That's a great observation, and it's good to see you here today. Importantly to note, the supply chain issues are impacting everybody in every day of their life and every product. PCs are not going to be spared from this. We are seeing prices go higher. So when you go to a big box retailer or online, prices go higher. Now, to specifically answer your question, why Dell versus the others and how we can be more positive on Dell versus the PC market, when you show up to work and you get into your office, you want a beautiful screen, you want a good video recorder, you want a good connection. And then when you go home, you want the same thing. So corporations are seeing a handoff from the demand living by consumer during COVID to now demand by the enterprise where employees are demanding a good workstation, a good notebook, a good screen. And that's why we think Dell is going to outperform here. They are more geared towards the enterprise side of things. And we see a handoff going from consumer to enterprise. Now, it's amazing. Dell's market cap is around $37 billion right now. And yet, 
a, a while back, Dell managed to take out EMC with VMware part of it uh, and, and benefit from that transaction. Now VMware um, up for sale again. How much did that process strengthen Dell? How strong uh, is its software portfolio, networking portfolio in position? And how much does that sort of um, overall diversified approach to enterprise IT factor into your bullishness for a company like this? Well, strategically, you put the pieces together perfectly. Those acquisitions, those strategic investments have now paid off to where the company has a full end-to-end solutions, whether it be a commercial agreement that they may have with some of the entities that they no longer own or internally what they've developed or who they've acquired over time. They now have a full service end-to-end solution. If they didn't, specifically, they'd be only selling PCs. But now today, they're selling also storage, servers, connectivity, cloud, a lot more security and software. And if they only did PCs today, they would probably be facing similar challenges that the rest of the supply chain is. So Dell is a much stronger, bigger, diversified, broader company today than when Michael Dell started this in his college dorm room back in Texas. All right. Speaking of supply chain, Jim, I've seen some comments today that argue you take the consumer electronics slowdown, you take the China lockdowns easing, you take better than expected foundry shipments, maybe in fact at least in autos, for example, this chip shortage may finally be ending for now. You see anything wrong with that? Um, I don't. And in fact, you correctly identified the sector of the automotive sector. And that sector has been really hurt a lot because it's hard because there's been so much more innovation in the EV and the cars of the future, whether it be a engine, a controller, a bumper and safety features. The automotive industry has seen tremendous uh, bottlenecks. We expect this to ease in the later half of this year, but it will be slow. And many companies, no matter what product you're selling, are seeing higher average selling prices. You see the CPI the consumer price index numbers going higher, people are going to have to spend more, whether it be on gasoline, a car, a PC, or even a smartphone. And we're seeing companies put out their higher-end products rather than the lower-end price products. So if you want to buy a, a phone or a car or a PC, you're likely seeing the offerings on the shelf be on the higher-priced items. So inflation's hitting everywhere, but you're right. The automobile sector and the automotive sector has seen um, you know, about two years of constraints. Hopefully this eases up because the world could use a lot more environmental friendly cars, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, Jim, talk about the China side of the PC demand picture. You know, markets encouraged by them opening up. However, you know, there's this push from Beijing to get consumers and businesses to buy domestic PCs, not foreign ones. That could hit everyone from Dell to HB. Uh, how worried should investors maybe be about that trend? Well, that's a very important observation. And for those who um, are watching this that may not be aware, China has started to say, let's buy more China branded items, which would be more like the, the local produced China PC companies, which is not HP and not Dell. Specifically to Dell, Dell does mostly corporations and they have a very tiny uh, footprint in China. HP has a much bigger footprint in China, so HP would HPQ is the stock ticker. HP Inc. would have a bigger stock exposure on the negative side should China continue down this road. We believe that they could, 
And should they do that, Dell's the one you want to own. Simply put, for every tick, there'll be a tack. And with that, we expect the U.S. probably to start to give more preferential treatment to the homegrown, homemade PCs, and that would be Dell and HP. But again, Dell is more of an enterprise seller, and HPQ is more uh, uh, of the consumer side, but it would be more downside to HPQ with this China constraint that you are concerned that you correctly communicated. And Jim, finally, given your concerns about the PC market, what's the read through to chips, uh, the likes of Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, even solid state players? Are they just more reliant on data center uh, revenue? And do the hyperscalers have the opportunity to squeeze their margins there? Uh, That observation is spot on. The data center hyperscalers, also known as cloud, is seeing where the strength is. People are storing everything from photos and videos to key components, files, to their corporations into the cloud. They want to be able to access things from your phone, laptop, PC, workstation, no matter if you're in the airport, the train station, or walking down the street. People want access globally. The hyperscalers and cloud are seeing tremendous demand. Specifically on the chips, they are seeing average selling prices go higher. The recent semiconductor industry data shows it being up anywhere between 7 to 10% year over year just on similar pricing. And typically costs go down lower as they get more efficient, efficiently baking these and making these chips and various products. So prices going up, if costs go down, that will help them. But costs are kind of more stable given electricity costs. But prices are going higher. The chip companies are going to favor this. Now, the very interesting thing is after COVID and all these supply chain issues, do companies start to hold more inventory? Because you do, you want to have product on the shelf in time for graduation, back to school, Christmas and the holidays. So the question will be is after all these constraints ease, do the companies start to hold a, a bit more inventory? We think the answer is yes. And with higher pricing and people not wanting everything to come from one specific uh, location, such as China, we think prices continue to go higher. And that will be good also for all the companies that supply, whether it be chips, capacitors, lots of different parts of the supply chain. It's looking like it's going to be pretty good times ahead. All right. We'll look forward to that. That sounds good. Jim Suva, thank you. Great to see you. Coming up after the break, AMC shares uh, had a nice gain at the open, have lost a little bit of steam, but still up better than 1%. We'll tell you why. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. 
<laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Let's get a gut check on Zoom. Daiwa double upgrading the stock to outperform a price target of $121, saying the recent market pullback represents an attractive entry point with growth expectations now looking more realistic. Plus, Daiwa likes Zoom's core business, pointing to solid performance in Q1 and the company's upbeat guidance. That said, shares are down this morning, two and a quarter percent and down more than 40 percent this year, John. Uh, But since earnings last week, it's up about 20 percent. So some of the commentary on that call, call, Carl, seems to have provided some optimism for some investors. Yeah, uh, taking the target to 121. We're going to watch that one. A big win and big money this weekend for Paramount after that record-breaking debut for Top Gun Maverick. Julia Borston's got that story and all the implications for the film slate later this summer, JB. Well, Carl, Top Gun Maverick soared past all analyst expectations, grossing nearly $128 million through Sunday and $160.5 million through yesterday. Paramount just this morning updating that number. Now, that is a record for Tom Cruise and for Memorial Day weekend. The film also grossing another $126 million internationally. Now, this is, of course, a financial win for Paramount, Tom Cruise, and producer David Ellison, who we'll be talking to later today. And the film is expected to continue its strong run in the coming weeks, bolstered by a 97% positive critic score and a 99% positive audience ratings, which means good word of mouth. But this is why Top Gun's performance bodes so well for the theater chains. It's because a diverse range of audiences came out in mass, but 55% of moviegoers were over age 35. Now that is an audience studios feared we're not going to come back to theaters after the pandemic. Plus, top-growing theaters were spread broadly across the country. Another factor, audiences also paid up for the biggest possible screens. Rosenblatt writing today, quote, some 37% of the box office was generated by premium theaters, IMAX, Dolby and generic premium large format theaters, demonstrating the consumer's increasing preference for an experience that can't be created at home. So now the rest of the media giants are hopeful that the fact that moviegoers liked Top Gun and just saw a bunch of their trailers will get those moviegoers to come back for other big budget films that are lined up for the next few months. Guys? Wow. Talk about a reversal of the narrative. Oh, people aren't going to go to theaters anymore. They want to watch stuff at home. Top Gun with 97 and 99%. Wow. Um, Wow. Julia, thanks. The bear market rolls. More pain for tech stocks as the Nasdaq's short-lived rally turns the other way this morning. We'll see how it turns out. It's down fractionally this morning. Tech Check is back in just a moment. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. 
stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. About half past the hour. Time for a news update. Leslie Pickers got that for us. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Carl. Here's what's happening at this hour. Home prices in the U.S. surged over 20 percent in March as interest rates also rose and home buying demand outweighed the limited supply of homes for sale. Nationally, home prices were 20.6 percent higher than they were in March 2021, according to the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index. That's higher than the 20 percent gain in February. Unilever named activist investor Nelson Peltz to its board as it engages in talks about strategy with Peltz. Peltz's hedge fund, Tryon Fund Management, holds a roughly 1.5% stake in the consumer goods giant, and the news comes after Unilever's unsuccessful pursuit of GSK's consumer health business earlier this year raised questions about the company's M&A strategy. Confidence among U.S. consumers dropped in May to the lowest since February as concerns about decades-high inflation persist. The conference board's index slipped to 106.4, still a strong reading from an upwardly revised 108.6 reading in April. And consumers' plans to buy big-ticket items like cars, homes, and major appliances all declined in May. Back over to you guys. All right, Leslie, thanks so much. We briefly had the Dow and S&P green for the month, but they've gone red once again. NASDAQ's down today as well and on pace to end the month down almost 2.5%. Christina Partsnevelos has today's biggest movers. Hey, Christina. Markets are brought down by higher oil prices, but Chinese technology stocks are leading the pack today on the Nasdaq, with JD.com up almost about 6%, Pinduoduo kind of in the same scenario right now. You can see almost 6% Baidu up over 4%, and the sector is getting a lift from the easing of COVID restrictions in China. KWeb, for example, the Chinese e-commerce ETF is poised to snap a three-month losing streak. And I want to switch gears and talk about chip makers, though, because the only chip maker higher right now is Taiwan Semiconductor as well as AMD. Morgan Stanley uh, analysts actually put out a note betting that the consumer electronic uh, or electronics in general will slow down and that the China reopening could be the end of the chip shortage. Other news among chip makers is Qualcomm CEO telling the FT it wants to buy a stake in ARM uh, in its upcoming IPO. And despite weakness today in semis, you have the SMH Semiconductor ETF that's on pace for its best month since November. The same thing you can see for the SOX ETF, also up over 5%, also having its best no- month since November. The worst, though, the worst performing NASDAQ 100 component component is Illumina, down about over 6% right now and down over 36% on the year. you got Constellation Energy, also a drag. There's no major catalyst, though, for the company today. And I want you to take a look at PayPal. That's treading about a touch lower today, but the stock has fallen the most on the NASDAQ 100 from its 52-week high, down over 72%. E-commerce trends, though, continue to soften as consumers return to in-store shopping, budgets are getting squeezed from higher inflation, and spending is shifting from services or two services from physical goods. And lastly, the retail trade stronger today on the NASDAQ with Amazon and Lulu leading the way, followed by Starbucks. But Lulu still on pace for its worst month since 2017. Carl? 
Christina, thank you for that uh, nice roundup of the action today. One big obstacle standing in the way of tech, obviously, remains inflation. The president calling the issue his top economic priority in this op-ed in the Journal uh, just yesterday ahead of a meeting with the Fed chair this afternoon at the White House, outlining a three-part plan to address elevated prices. But will it work? Here to discuss, Northman Trader founder Sven Henrik joins us today. Sven, as someone who spent the last couple of years arguing that central banks were living in a cave, essentially, I'm a bit surprised you do seem to be coming around to the notion that at least inflation has stopped going higher. Yeah, and it's a it's a difficult case to make. Obviously, we, we when we see housing prices still going up and gas prices at the pump still going up. But you look under the underlying components as well in some of the key commodity pieces, we're seeing some sizable rollovers, be it copper, be it aluminum, be it lumber even. Or if you look at, the, for example, the used car index. So there are signs that things may have been peaked, peaking on that front. And the market desperately wants to see that in conjunction. Obviously, in the last few weeks, we saw that 10-year yield peak at 3.2%. And that, with the dollar reversing at least, gives hope that maybe from a market perspective, if not from a Fed perspective, but from a market perspective, maybe inflation or the tightening aspect of it may have peaked at this point. Right. So from a Fed perspective, when we get Waller on the tape arguing 50-50-50 from here on out until who knows when, don't count on a respite in September, do you think he speaks for the committee? And is that is the market still craving some kind of opium in the way of a pause? Yeah, I think the, the, the reality, look, the reality is this. We've had in 2018, when the 10-year got to 3.2%, the market couldn't handle, dropped 20%. Why? Because the debt construct is so high, and it's gotten obviously much worse in the last four years. And so when the 10-year hit 3.2% in recent weeks, everything freaked out again. The, the, the market is telling everyone it can't handle significantly higher rates. rates. And with the the long-term trend of lower highs and lower highs in the Fed funds rate, I think there's a limit to what the Fed can do. Now, they've succeeded with jawboning to raise market expectations. Whether then it actually can follow through is a completely different question. And so to the extent that if inflation data starts rolling over in the coming reports, i.e. June CPI report, we may see relief also not only on, on the inflation front in terms of expectations, but also then expectations in terms of how aggressive the Fed may be willing to go. And that then could set up for a sort of pause pivot to just kind of wait and see after they've caught up with a couple of 50 basis point rate hikes here in the summer and see how this then ultimately plays out. Sven, when I'm listening to your inflation outlook and the idea that maybe it's peaked, I didn't hear you mention one key area, and that is travel, especially summer travel. There's still a labor shortage, and that could continue to add pressure in the months ahead on restaurants, hotels, recreation. Um, what's your outlook there? And could that sort of continue to add pressures and mean that this isn't the peak? Well, what, what I'm what I'm saying peak is I'm not saying that inflation is over. We've got a lot of issues like the ones you just mentioned. There's still supply chain issues, and of course, we still have the Russia-Ukraine war. You know, if if you were to get a miracle there, and hopefully maybe some sort of either ceasefire or, or political resolution later in the fall, as President Zelensky may have indicated so, somewhat softly, uh, that would be obviously massively positive. But the issues still remain us, and frankly. The Fed, when they raise rates or not, some of these issues they cannot address. And, and, and raising rates is not going to make a difference there other than maybe the political posturing of it. Uh, Sven, yeah, so it sounds like you're saying inflation has stopped getting worse. 
versus uh, it's really uh, easing up that much. And I wonder what you make then of last week's market action. There seem to be a lot of folks, Bitcoin traders, for one, who seem to be kind of piling back in to some extent to, to risk assets, thinking maybe a bottom or something like it is in. What's your take? Well, last time we spoke, I mentioned 3,800, 3,850 uh, as a key support zone. It was a 38.2 FIP uh, that the S&P had from a retrace from the March 2020 lows to the January 2022 highs. So that was a key technical zone. We're vastly oversold on tech in particular. So a, a technical bounce absolutely made sense. And this was, this was massive. And in, in some ways, you can argue it was maybe different than what we saw in recent months because it broke out of a pattern. There were some particular signals with that I'm watching that suggest there is the potential that this bear market rally may actually have more room to run. Whether it's then ultimately just a bear market rally that rolls over to new lows or whether we actually made a more sizable structural bottom, that's way too early to tell. We just need to see a lot more data coming in in the summer months before we can ascertain that. But that was clearly a nice tradable rally, which may have some more upside to it as well. So those who are calling for not just the uh, the rally here short term, but a revisit to, to, to new lows or at least to, say, the mid 3000s uh, by the end of Q2 earnings season. Do you think those forecasters know what they're talking about or is there is there just too much uncertainty in the near term? I think it's fair to say that, that that's a possibility. I'm not discounting that at all. As I said, especially if inflation data does not show significant improvement and if the economy continues to slow down. However, uh, there is obviously the potential for relief in terms of expectations. And then the market may surprise us all. Now, from my perspective, one thing that's outstanding after a basically a six-month correction, because basically a lot of the market peaked in, in November. So this has been an extensive correction and there's still structural oversold readings. What I'm looking for is some technical basic reconnects. For example, the 200 MA. And just to keep it simple, Assume it's a bear market until markets can successfully get back above the daily 200 MA and stay above it as a defense. Until then, expect still wide range volatility, similar to maybe what we saw in the year 2000 when we had big rallies, big drops, and that continued for six, seven months on end before then ultimately a recession came about, right? And recession risk obviously still remains with us at this point. Right. Uh, those are those who are old enough <laughs> definitely remember uh, how some of this can swirl around and create uh, surprises. Sven, always good stuff. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Carl. Take care. It's been a rough month for crypto. Ether on pace for its worst performance since 2020 and Bitcoin's worst since September. But on the other hand, Bitcoin is up above 31,600 this morning. Well, we'll check on Coinbase, a few other crypto-connected fintech names in just a moment. Don't go away. Let's get a gut check on Grab. Down around 60% on the year, but Bernstein sees value here, upgrading the stock to outperforming, calling it an attractive risk-reward opportunity, saying they think the stock will benefit from the post-pandemic reopening. A key reason to be bullish, they say improving momentum in ride-hailing, with Bernstein forecasting it'll offset moderation in food delivery. Shares are surging on that call, up around 15% to start the morning. We'll be right back. More Tech Check after this.
If you're looking for part of the market on sale, fintech could be an opportunity. Kate Bruni joins us with some key winners and losers. Kate, um, it's interesting. There's a lot of nuances within the sector. Yeah, absolutely. And fintech has been one of the uh, the biggest losers, really, the worst performing groups of the year. But Wall Street's definitely keeping an eye out for some opportunity at these prices. There were some big winners in May. We had SoFi. That was the big outperformer for the month, followed by Robinhood and Affirm. You compare those names to ARK's fintech ETF. That was down about 9% at the same time. If you zoom out a little bit, though, year to date, those charts not looking as good with the stocks down more than 50%. Affirm has the deepest losses there. Worst performer of that group. But then Coinbase was one of the worst performers in May as crypto uh, prices got crushed. Bitcoin is on pace for its worst month since December. Ether, meanwhile, heading for its worst month since March of 2020. JMP Securities is among those doing some value hunting. The firm ran some screens on more than 100 fintech companies looking at cash levels, growth and short interest as well. First, cash relative to market cap. The top of that list is Root. And then you've got Robinhood backed as well. JMP calling this a good starting point for value. More cash tends to put these companies in a better position to weather a soft patch and then potentially go on offense with M&A as well. They also rank the most attractive valuations based on earnings growth. Calling out some names like Curo, that's a consumer finance company, NerdWallet, Upstart, LendingTree, and Rocket. Those are still expected to see double digits EBITDA growth while shares are all deeply in the red year to date. And then finally, short interest. You've got Upstart, Lemonade, SoFi backed all on the high end of that list. If sentiment changes, shorts have to quickly cover their positions, and that can often spark a rally. That may be part of the story with SoFi that I mentioned earlier. You can see that one's got about 15% short interest on that stock. Okay, I want to go back to that idea of who has cash and who doesn't, because since we've been covering this (laughs) industry for a long time, you've just seen so many companies go public over the last few years. Some might have thought that there'd be more consolidation right now with valuations coming down. You said the likes of Robinhood and Coinbase, they got cash. Investors kind of want them to do something. Yeah, it's interesting. Coinbase has been on a little bit of an M&A spree in the last six months or so. They've been buying some of these smaller strategic startups. But Coinbase has a bunch of cash on its balance sheet. Robinhood, as far as the cash... Uh, compared to its market cap is among the highest. But they actually have to hold more cash because it's a brokerage firm. So there's questions over whether they can deploy that versus having to hold it because of regulatory reasons. So interesting to see that is the expectation, though, going forward, that either private companies that are also getting hit that we didn't even touch on, but the same thing is happening in private markets. We likely will see more consolidation. Mm -hmm. It may just be too soon. And while we have you, I do want to ask about this sort of mini rally that we've seen in crypto. Uh, Bitcoin above, actually, it's nearly at 32,000 this morning. So what's behind that? So it's interesting. It happened. We talked on Friday a little bit about uh, holiday weekends often being part of that liquidity is lower. We saw the rally. Bitcoin was up about 5% yesterday. So it may have been sparked with lower liquidity, fewer people trading on a holiday weekend. That you often see outsized move. But the same thing has happened in Bitcoin. that We've seen uh, a lot more leverage. So often if you see a small move, that can sort of have people, traders often rush to uh, cover their shorts. It may be a bit of a short squeeze. No obvious headlines, but that's often the case. Okay. Bitcoin. Well, Kate, thank you for breaking it down for Thanks us. Tea. Carl, over to you. All right, guys, one more part of the market showing some life today. You heard it earlier, Chinese tech, Alibaba, JD, and others. Pinduoduo is at a two-month high on the heels of Shanghai's decision to lift some lockdowns there. Plus, other movers uh, bucking today's downtrend. When we come back in a moment.
Let's get one last gut check this hour on DISH. The stock pairing gains from earlier this morning, still a long way from levels last seen earlier this month before the stock crashed double digits on that negative free cash flow for Q1. Truist, though, does call the dip a buying opportunity. They upgrade the stock to buy from hold. Their target goes from 25 to 60. They don't expect a near-term boom, but they are bullish on the company's future as a cloud player, John. Yep, and uh, just a quick check on the major indices. All at session highs, NASDAQ actually about flat. And it's been a tale of two stocks for HP and Salesforce this year. How to play their results after the bell. That's next. Stay with us. Before we go, and that's what to expect from HP and Salesforce when they report numbers in just a few hours after the bell. Frank Holland has that. They might even tell us something about tech writ large, right, Frank? I mean, absolutely, John. Salesforce and HP Inc. are considered bellwethers of both cloud and hardware and tech. Analysts say each will give a lot of insight about the current environment for spending and for supply chain. HP positive for the year, benefiting from a tailwind of elevated hardware sales as companies manage hybrid work and back to office. Salesforce underperforming despite coming off what it called its best quarter ever due to interest rate pressure that's really hammered all of the cloud stocks. For HP, analysts are forecasting a sharp reversal of trend that could impact earnings and possibly guidance. Citi saying in a note, supply chain challenges exacerbated by recent lockdowns combined with the macroinflationary woes are likely to temper PC unit demand. We now model 2022 unit growth as negative 9% versus prior expectations of flattish. However, JP Morgan calls Salesforce, which is 46% below its high, too cheap to ignore, saying in a recent note, we view valuation as more depressed defensive for CRM shares than for the broader software industry, undervaluing the sticky $32 billion cash generated recurring revenue stream with expanding margins. So a question going forward here is inflation and interest rate pressure. You see both cloud names and big tech stocks on the NASDAQ 100 moving down as the 10 year moves up. Carl, back over to you. Uh, it's going to get interesting tonight, Frank. I appreciate that very much. Uh, it's going to be interesting, D. We'll get CRM, as, as Frank mm -hmm. points out. But the week actually has some decent retail names, Lulu, PVH, RH, and then CrowdStrike and Okta, too. Yeah, with CRM, we'll have to see this is another uh, April ending quarter. And we know that how that has bowed for some of the other names that have reported recently, John. Um, so we'll see. Workday, perhaps a red flag? Uh, well, I'm just noticing guys, that Amazon is up better than 3% today, up more than 14% in the past week. So life comes at you fast in the markets, Carl. Yeah, after last week, uh, this is not too bad action at this point. Dow's down 90, S&P and Dow are now green once again for the month. Let's get to the half with Melissa Lee. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.